If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4. We'll be in verses 6 through 16 this morning as we look at following Jesus in new seasons. I don't know about y'all, but every time we go through Graduate Sunday and you, you sit back and you listen to Russell read those names, the schools, and then their courses of study, it's pretty remarkable, isn't it? And just take a minute to think about these 46 seniors from eight different schools in our river region and to think about all that they will accomplish with their lives, the foundations that have been built and laid, and then it's just remarkable from engineering and all of these incre- just majors that I can't even really even understand, that they're, they're launching off, and it's just astounding. And so I would encourage you to keep this little bulletin in your Bible, tuck it somewhere that as often as you see it and remember it, that you can pray for these individuals, these 46 seniors as they launch off. Uh, Russell's right, it's like an investor report. Uh, we pray for them, we encourage them, and we just ask you to stick this in your Bible, stick it somewhere that you can pray for them. And so this morning we want to look at following Jesus in new seasons, recognizing that in just a moment I'll speak to 46 seniors and their parents who are about to launch into new seasons, but also recognizes that you also may be either entering a new season, maybe it's retirement, maybe it's an empty nest, maybe you're looking forward to a new season around the corner with grandchildren or children, maybe you just don't know that there's a new season coming your way. And so here you are today preparing for it. So this morning, following Jesus in new seasons, a very simple message that I hope will resonate in your own soul as it has mine. So let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, 6 through 16. Everybody there? All God's people said? We're here. All right, let's do it together. 1 Timothy 4, 6 through 16. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Jesus Christ, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hopes set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and impurity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift that you have, which is given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that you may all, all may see your progress and keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Let's pray together. Lord, teach us, refine us, open our hearts and ears, allow our spirits to be moldable and malleable so that we leave this place different than when we came in. Lord, we love you and we thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. If you scroll back a little bit or uh, look, scan back a little bit further, in verses 1 through 5, you see Paul giving his protege Timothy some very helpful words of encouragement. If you see in verses 1 through 5 that you know, Paul is writing to Timothy to say, Timothy, many are wandering off from the faith. They're being deceived by all sorts of uh, just almost demonic teaching. They're being deceived by the twisting of the word. They're being deceived and they're running off in a variety of different ways and means. And and here again in verses six and seven, you see that Paul is reminding Timothy, don't get caught off guard by chasing after silly and irreverent myths. And essentially what Paul tells Timothy is number one on your outline, to keep the main thing 
the main thing. Now, I recognize that you probably could have filled that in well before I even said it. You've been in this church long enough to know that that's an important part of who we are, that we keep the main thing the main thing. But this morning, I think it's so important that as we launch into new seasons that we recognize no matter what season we're in, we always keep the main thing the main thing. And it's easy for me to say, is the main thing the main thing in your life? And you give me the Jesus answer because we're at church to say, yes, Mark, Jesus is the main thing and go on about our daily lives. But I ask you again, what is the main thing in your life? In a moment, I'm going to give you a statement to maybe write down and ponder over the course of this day. But for right now, let me ask you the question, are you keeping the main thing the main thing? For Paul writing to Timothy, he's going to tell him that you're going to be in a situation, you're going to be in circumstances where people are going to be writing and teaching and telling you things that are contrary to the main thing. They're going to have you chasing after a multitude of things that are not the main things, silly and irreverent myths teaching, twisting the scriptural truths of God's word. And you're going to see many people devoting themselves to simply things that have no eternal value or weight. Paul is writing to Timothy to tell him, brother, keep the main thing, the main thing. And and sometimes I think it's important for us as believers to simply Uh, check our souls and make sure that we're calibrated correctly. Make sure that we are focusing and running after the main things with our lives because it can be so easy over the course of multitudes of weeks and months and years that we can just get off the track and it can happen almost just seamlessly. Sometimes it's circumstances that come in our life and it hit us quickly. Sometimes it's over the course of multitude of days and weeks. Uh, My first job in high school into college, my first real job earning a real paycheck I did what most of us do when we get our first real jobs and paychecks. We painstakingly put it in the bank and we save it for a rainy day. Of course not. No, I didn't do that. I went out and bought something fun, right? You've done the same thing, so don't look at me with those judgy eyes. You've done it too, all right? First paycheck, I I decided that I would uh, buy a really nice camera. I I love to take pictures back in the day, and so uh, this is before the day of cell phone cameras and all that kind of stuff, so I was going to go out and buy a really nice camera. And so I spent my entire couple of paychecks on this really nice camera, and it started out beautiful. Like, I was taking these wonderful pictures, and it was so much fun going out into all these different places and taking these wonderful pictures, coming home, putting them on the computer, and just seeing them come to life on the screen. And this thing was just dialed in, and it would just, you set it on auto, and it's taking beautiful pictures. But then, something happened, and the camera dropped to the floor, and I picked it back up and started taking pictures, and I thought everything was fine, but I plugged that camera back into the computer, and all of a sudden, all these pictures that I had taken that I thought were beautiful were just they're off. They're washed out. They're dark. They're out of focus. Everything seemed to be crazy out of gear. And I had spent some good money on this camera. So I called the company and they sent it off and they called back and just said, hey, just this small little sensor is out of calibration. This small little sensor is out of calibration. So let let us calibrate it and then we'll send it back and everything will be good and dandy. I just said at times, at times we, we go through life and we're so Concern because our pictures that were taken are out of focus, the, the walls in our house are cracked, and the things are just seem out of alignment. We're in our car and things are bumpy, and at times we need to just simply recalibrate our souls to ask the question, what is the main thing in our life? Husbands and wives, have you connected on what is the main thing in your life? 
individuals and families, what is the main thing in your life? As you walk through different seasons, it's hard for the main thing to be the main thing. In Deuteronomy 6, you can see in next seasons, when the next seasons bring blessings, is the main thing the main thing. Can I tell you, in my own life, this has been one of the most difficult parts to keep the main thing the main thing when the next season brings, brings immense blessing. When life is good, when everything is well, when everything is going well and in order, when the kids are well, when things and everybody is happy, when everything is good, at times that can be the most difficult season to keep the main thing the main thing. If we go back to Deuteronomy 6 for a moment, just write Deuteronomy 6 in the side of your notes. You see the the Lord telling the people as they're exiting um, from captivity, he's going to tell Moses and the people, remember the Lord your God when he when he brings you into the promised land flowing with milk and honey. When everything is good, when you're going and finding water, when there's food to be had, when everything is good in the land, when everything is right, when everything is in order, when everything is good and solid and the problem is seen to be in the rear view mirror, God would tell the people, be careful lest you forget. Essentially, God is telling Moses, Be careful in the midst of your immense blessing, in the midst of your immense good season, in the midst of all the good things happening. Don't forget the main thing. I tell you, in my life, this is absolutely, in the seasons where I can look back and see things were going so well and it seems like I just got my eyes off the main thing. But on the contrary, maybe it's the next season in your life brings hardship. In Psalm 13, you see David cry out, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Sometimes the Lord brings us into the next season, and that season is flowing with milk and honey, and everything is fantastic. And it can be easy to not let the main thing be the main thing. But we can also walk in seasons of great hardship. As I was thinking about my own departure from high school into college, walking across this very stage, receiving my Bible and launching off into Auburn, I was thinking about my own season of life and thinking about the second night that I was there in my dorm room or my apartment at Auburn. I got all settled in and was preparing to go to class and the second day, as I was waking up, before classes had even started, I got a phone call from my dad saying, hey, buddy, can I come and can I take you to breakfast? There's a heaviness about my dad's voice that instantly knew that something was up, and so he came by and he said, hey, Mark, let me take you to breakfast. I need you to know that your grandmother has passed away. We walked through the funeral and go through the next few weeks and walk through that and this experience of college that I thought was supposed to be the most grand of times, everybody tells you it's the most wonderful season in life of your, uh, life of your time, it was terrible. I mean, I'll just be honest with you, I didn't make friends quickly. I'm a, kind of a shy and quiet guy and couldn't connect with the church, couldn't connect with friends, didn't know what was going on. My grandmother's passed away, things are heavy, and those first few months of college were just, and they were hard. Wanted to give up, wanted to quit, wanted to come home, wanted to just throw in the towel. They're hard days. It's days when you come home from college, everybody says, hey, is it going great? Is it the best years of your life? And you're coming home saying, this stinks. It's hard. 
don't know anybody. Nobody knows me. Can't find any friends. I don't know anybody. The very thing that I wrote in the inside of every Bible that a student will have as they walk off the stage is stay near to God's word and stay near to God's people. So the very two things that helped walk me through those seasons of hardship in my own life is to stay near to God's word and his people. See David, as he cries out to the Lord, he said, but in the midst of the hardship, but I have trusted in your steadfast love and my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. In the midst of the hard seasons, we continue to press in and say the main thing is the main thing. So friends, can I ask you, in the midst of the easiness of verses one through six, that it's easy to wander off into a variety of different places and circumstances, are we keeping the main thing the main thing? Because you move forward in this verse and it says, have nothing to do, verse seven, have nothing to do with irreverent and silly myths, rather train yourself for godliness. Number two on your outline is discipline with direction. This is what I love about the Bible. So often we get a, a rap for saying, here's all the things not to do, right? Don't go down irreverent and silly myths. Don't chase genealogies. Don't chase after all these demonic teachings. Don't do all these things. But rather, the Bible always says, rather, here's what you're called to do. You're called to train yourself for godliness. And it says that, that physical training of your body has some benefit, right? It's good to build up your body, to eat right, to exercise, to do all these things, but it is far better and weightier to train yourself for godliness. So what is godliness? What are we supposed to and called to train ourselves for? If you were to take godliness and write down a definition of it, maybe on your outline, you could say godliness is taking all that we know about God and the gospel and scripture and fleshing it out in day-to-day life. Train yourself for godliness, for putting it in practice everything that you know and have received and the foundations of your faith. Godliness is training up everything that you know about the spiritual knowledge to be lived out daily in worship and in obedience. But isn't it interesting that Paul would use to Timothy to train yourself up for godliness? That Paul wouldn't tell Timothy, hey, Timothy, if you, just, if you just think about it enough, if you just do some spiritual thing, then all of a sudden you're going to be raised up spiritually. He said, you've got to train yourself for it. As you know, as well as I do, looking at me on this stage, that... Um, I, I don't look like I have much of a bodily training for much endurance or strength, right? I mean, this body is not going to win any weightlifting competitions anytime soon. I've not seen the inside of a gym in a, quite a while. My preparation, my training for physical body is not strong. And, and so for, for Paul to say, hey, Mark, just, just think it enough Hey, if you're going to go run a race, say, just, just step out there and it'll probably be all right because you know what, after all, it's going to make it, all right? Just, just head out there and physical training doesn't really matter. Just get out there and run and you'll be all right because after all, I can do all things to Christ who strengthens me, right? Paul's going to say, train yourself for godliness. 
get in the gym of your soul and work it out. Not your salvation per se, but godliness. Work it out. Exercise your spiritual muscles. Exercise your strength and faith. Exercise the opportunities that you have to glorify the Lord. Get in the gym of your soul and work it out, friends. Paul doesn't say, hey, just hope that it works out and you're going to be fine. No, he says exercise and train yourself for godliness. Discipline with direction. And let me give you just a helpful moment, a helpful exercise. This past week, we took our staff retreat and we took our ministerial staff to the lake and we took some time to answer this specific question that I want to give you right now. You see it on the screen right now. I exist to honor God and help others by blanking blank. If you would write that question down right now, maybe you don't have time to answer it, but just write that question down or that statement down. I exist to honor God and help others by blanking blank. And as you spend some time with that simple statement to give yourself some direction, let me just clue you in on what mine says. I exist to honor God and help others by shepherding peace. Those are my words, shepherding peace. That's my calling in life. That's my calling as a pastor. That's my calling as a father. That's my calling that I believe the Lord has put on my heart to shepherd peace. Some of the others on our staff are serving people, developing leaders, serving faithfully, building foundations. Maybe for you it's raising kids, loving people. Do you see how this works? What is your main thing? What is your goal? What is your discipline? For me, it is to help people connect to the Prince of Peace, to shepherd and walk beside people as they find the Prince of Peace, that there is no other peace except in Jesus. And my calling on this earth is to help people and exalt the Lord and honor him by shepherding peace. So everything I do is to build the spiritual muscles of shepherding peace. So my question for you is, what would you fill in that blank with? In this season in your life, what is, what is that thing that the Lord has called you to? As Russell sat around, and I'll pick on Russell for a moment, as he sat and thought, and as he pondered all the words, Russell's two words were, I exist to honor God and help others by graduating disciples. That's his theme. That's his calling at this church is to graduate disciples. When they walk across the stage, he's, disciple, he's graduating disciples who are ready to walk out those doors and help people connect to Jesus. So parents, what is your, I, exalt, I exist to honor God and help others by what? And maybe in this moment, you just need to take some time with your husband or wife or maybe your, your kids or grandkids, maybe your parents, or maybe just in the quietness of your heart as you leave today, and I can tell you how much that frees me up to say, my calling, God has put me on this earth. The discipline that I show, the calling on my life, as it was for Paul to Timothy, I exist to honor God, to shepherd peace. And can I tell you, it helps me tremendously to know the direction that God has put me on keep the main thing the main thing in my life. I want to help people in a lot of different ways. I want to help people in so many different ways, but at the end of the day, that is my chief aim as a father, as a, as a husband, as a pastor. My existence is to honor God and help others by shepherding peace. So we have discipline with direction, a training to follow Jesus in all that we do. And then lastly, number three, 
Number three, we immerse ourselves in truth. If we keep on reading through this passage, for this end we toil and strive because we have hope set on the living God who is the savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth. But set the believers an example in speech and conduct in love and in faith and in purity. Can I tell you that you are never too young to set an example? You are never too young. I'm so encouraged when we have our baptism tours with uh, individuals who are young and old of all ages, specifically at times our younger uh, kids who come forward and want to be baptized. As we take our baptism tours, we're talking in the baptistry. They always say, I can't wait to invite my friends to see me be baptized. I can't wait to go back to school and tell my friends that I've been baptized, that God has done something to me. I can't wait to give them baptism invitations to come watch me be baptized. And I sit back and just awestruck that those children set an example of what it means to be excited about what God is doing in their life. You're never too young to set an example for other believers. But can I also tell you, you're also never too old I know Paul didn't write to Timothy and say, set an example, old people. No, he's talking to a young Timothy. But can I also tell you, you are never too old to set an example to other believers in faith and life and purity and in conduct. You never expire in terms of your influence and your example. So for young people, you are never too young to set an example in, in speech and conduct and faith and life and impurity, and you are never too old. So until I come again, this is what Paul gives Timothy, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture. And he says, immerse yourself in truth. Number three, immerse yourself in truth. In verse six, Paul tells Timothy that you have been nourished by and trained by the good doctrine of your faith. From an early age, you've been nourished by it. And Paul's going to tell Timothy, continue to immerse yourself in truth. Philippians chapter 4 tells us, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And what you have heard and received and learned and seen in me. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Friends, immerse yourself in truth. Think about truth. Talk about truth. Build your hearts around truth. Immerse your soul in the truth of God's word. Because at the end of the day, the last blank on your outline will summarize all that I've got for you. Whatever season that you're walking in or through, whatever you're walking through currently in your life or whether, whatever the Lord is calling you to in the future, take the next right step of obedience in your life. And that's the easiest summation of your calling as a believer. Take the next right step that God puts in front of you. In big decisions and small decisions, as our students go off to college, how they set the tone, the first right step of obedience. For those of you that are, have empty nests, for those of you walking into a new season, you take the next right step that God puts in front of you. I can't urge you enough, simply day in and day out, take the next right step that God gives and places in front of you. Take the next right step of obedience in your life.
Can I tell you, if you take the next right step, then on your last day, you will be taking the last right step. Day in and day out. In good seasons and bad seasons. In seasons of joy and seasons of sorrow. In seasons of hardship and seasons of uncertainty. Keep the main thing the main thing. Immerse yourself in truth. And take the next right step of obedience in your life. Let's pray together. Lord, help us. Help us to do precisely that. Lord, help us to know how we honor God and help others. Help us to know what our calling is for our lives. Help us to keep the main thing, the main thing, to lift your name high. Lord, I pray for those across this room right now that maybe their heart needs to just simply be recalibrated. We've gotten focused on a variety of different things that have such little eternal value. So Lord, help us. Help us to know your truth and walk in your way. Lord, we pray for those entering into new seasons and those who are about to enter into new seasons that are yet unforeseen. Give us the strength of our faith. Help us to continue training for godliness. Lord, we love you. We thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.